we're going to be getting some understanding of the parables, the seven parables that Jesus uh, teaches in Matthew chapter 13. And this message is designed to be an introduction to that. In the first chapter of Matthew, the first verse starts with, it says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So it starts with the birth of Christ. It starts with his genealogy, and it runs from David to Abraham. Abraham is the father of what nation? Right? Israel. David is was the king of what nation? Israel. So we're starting to get right from the get-go, that bit of Jewish uh, uh, genealogy here. And look at Matthew chapter 3. Look at Matthew 3. We see in uh, verse number one, those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now watch what verse two, it tells us what John the Baptist was preaching and saying, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Note that kingdom of heaven. That's what he's preaching. Look at the eighth verse. It says, bring, he told them, bring forth therefore fruits. Meat for repentance. Why was John, why did he, why is that said in verse number? You had hypocritical leaders that are coming. They're not interested in repenting. They're interested in seeing the show. They're interested in showing up, seeing what's going on. But they're not interested in really repenting. That's why John the Baptist told him, hey, let's see some fruit. Let's see some fruit. If you back up a verse, you'll see that many did come humbly. Uh, look at verse number six. And it says, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. They all went out to Jerusalem and all day and all round about on the Jordan. Verse five, and baptized of the Jordan, confessing their sins. Many came humbly. And what was their proof? What was their visible proof of their repentance? What was their fruit? That they got baptized. They actually showed more fruit, meat for repentance. And that's what John called them to do. And so he shows up on the scene and he's preaching the kingdom of heaven. And we're not going to review all that material. We already went through the difference. you got a physical kingdom and a spiritual kingdom. And we're talking about a physical, earthly kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if you turn to the fourth chapter, look at the 17th verse. John preached, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Watch what Jesus preached, verse number 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Matthew 3 and Matthew 4, you got John the Baptist and you got Jesus Christ. They're both preaching that same message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. When you get to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7, all that starts to show up is kingdom of heaven, Inherit the earth, God's throne, city of the great king, thy kingdom come, for thine is the kingdom. And all those phrases start to show up in Matthew 5 through 7. It's a report from King Jesus basically on how his earth kingdom is going to be governed. And that's what you get in Matthew uh, the 6, 7. 6 and 7 chapters. By the time you get to Matthew 11, let's turn there. 
Jesus is about fed up with these <laughs> religious hypocritical leaders. He's about fed up. Watch what he says in verse 20. Matthew 11, verse 20. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. You know why? It tells us because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And now Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works that have been done in me had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you, that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. And Jesus just rebukes those leaders. You guys aren't repenting. You've seen all this stuff. You've witnessed all this stuff. You are not repenting. He lets them have it. Turn over to Matthew chapter 12. Look towards the end of the chapter. Just doing it. Quick overview to introduce Matthew 13 and the parables there. Watch what it says in verse 43. Matthew 12, verse 43. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth an empty, swept, and garnish. Then go and take it with him seven other spirits who are wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also under this wicked generation. Those wicked pharisaical leaders. Now that's a good preaching, those, those couple of verses. You can get a lot out of that for practical application. I've heard and I'm sure you've heard some really powerful preaching sermons out Actually, we're looking at tonight that he is telling these leaders, you guys are going to be worse off than when you start in the fire because you haven't repented. You didn't build your heart. <laughs> and you're going to end up being because of that no true conversion took place with those hypocritical they're going to be worse off and we know what ended up happening Israel rejected its king and so now we get to Matthew chapter 13 and we have Jesus gives seven parables of the kingdom of heaven and by the time we get to chapter 13 the kingdom of heaven is no longer openly proclaimed. You no longer see or hear John the Baptist or Jesus or the twelve apostles repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. These parables are now prophesied. The king is going to be away for a long time. That's Matthew 13. All those parables. The king has gone away. Those that don't have rightful throne rights to that kingdom will corrupt it. They're corrupting the king's kingdom. 
They're rejecting the king. The king is going to go away. And in the meantime, all y'all are going to ruin it. You're just going to corrupt the kingdom. Because it ain't rightfully yours. It belongs to King Jesus. Now, do you remember when we went through Daniel 2 some weeks ago? And in Daniel 2, we looked at there were four world powers, four world-ruling kingdoms, Babylonian, Medo-Persian, Grecian, and Roman. Remember that vision, King Nebuchadnezzar and all that? We went through that. And when Christ came back, or, or, or when Christ came his first time, the world-dominating and world-ruling power was Rome. Right now, we don't have a world-ruling power. We have a mixture of earthly-ruling kingdoms. And you know why I'm not worried about China taking over the world? Because of Daniel 2. You know why I'm not worried about Russia? Because of Daniel 2. There is not going to be a world-ruling power again until Christ comes back and sets up his righteous kingdom. The Muslims don't scare me. Yes, they're making some headway. But they, the Muslims will not be the world-ruling power. You have the Babylonians, you know, Persians, Grecians, Rome, about everything is split and mingled and mixed. And I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it. Daniel 2 gives the prophecy. We don't have to worry about the Masons taking over. We don't have to worry about the World Court or the New World Order or the Georgia Guidestones. Because in 1979, when the Georgia Guidestones were put up, there was no prophecy that was fulfilled that came out of the Bible. It might get you on the Alex Jones show. And when they were destroyed a couple of months ago, that didn't fulfill Bible prophecy. Because America isn't in Bible prophecy. And what they did in 1979 with the Georgia Guidestones isn't in Bible prophecy. <laughs> I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it. The global elite's going to kill off humanity. Well, again, that'll get you on a couple of podcasts, and that'll get you a bunch of YouTube subscribers, and that'll get you down a rabbit trail. But go, go back to Jeremiah for a second. There's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. Look at Jeremiah 32. I know these kingdoms are corrupt. It's corrupt in China. It's corrupt in Russia. It's corrupt in Iraq. It's corrupt in Georgia. It's it's all corrupt. And it, it, it look at Jeremiah thirty-two. Look at verse thirty-five. People get so concerned about population control. Look at Jeremiah thirty-two. Look at verse thirty-five. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom. To cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire of the Holy, which I commanded them not. Neither came it into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. God didn't come up with the thought in his mind that parents would do this 
to their children. You know what that is in Jeremiah 32? Population control. Who would do that to their children? It's wicked. And it's been going on a long, long, long time. Look at Matthew chapter 2. Look at Matthew chapter 2. Look at verse number 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise man, was exceeding wrong, and sent forward, watch what it says, and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. You know what Herod was involved with? You know what that government was involved in? Population control. It shouldn't surprise us that a government entity would be involved in population control. He wanted to kill and did slaughter children. That's wicked. You know what this world doesn't want around? Christians. That's a wicked thing that Herod did. What'd they do to Stephen? They stoned him. What'd they do to John the Baptist? They cut his head off, put it in the charger. What'd they do to Jesus Christ? Put him on a cross. Muslims were outpopulated. The new world order of Satan who is in control of this, the, he's the prince in power of these airways right now, changed. Right now it hasn't changed. He's controlling these things. We got one place where we can stake our feet deep in the ground and know where there's truth. And that's the church. Christ said he could build his church. And that church would be the pillar and ground of truth amidst all of this wickedness that's going on. You don't have to turn there. I have the verse down here. But in 1 Samuel chapter 8, says, but the thing displeased Saul, or Samuel rather, when they said, give us a king to judge thee. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord, and the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people, and all that they say unto thee. They have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I shall not reign over them. Corrupt people want what? What do corrupt people want? A corrupt king? Samuel wasn't happy about it. The Lord wasn't happy. About it. But the people wanted a corrupt. God gave them what they wanted. John, 5, John 19. But they cried away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto him, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, Answered, We have no king but Caesar. The Jews wanted to crucify King Jesus. He preached. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's at hand. He's on the scene. He's on the earth. They crucify. We'd rather have Caesar. Corrupt people on a corrupt king. And when that corrupt king was born, guess what Jesus' earthly parents did? Pay taxes to a corrupt one. Government. Do what you got to do. Render unto Caesar what Caesar. Pray the government leaves you alone and you leave the government alone. 
the government's always going to be corrupt. All those tax collectors in the Bible that we read about, and they come to Christ, and, and they were known for their corruption. Yet people still paid taxes. Can you believe that the American government is stealing our money? Yes. <laughs> I can. I can. But that doesn't give us any biblical right to not render our taxes to our corrupt government. Corruption will be around. Now, I'm going to try to keep as much of it as I can legally, and so are you. However, don't be surprised that the government's corrupt. Don't be surprised that there's population control. It's been going on for a long, long time. So a few things that these parables refute, and by the time we get into it, we'll be seeing this. Jesus doesn't make a second offer after his resurrection for the kingdom. Okay? It's in that he died on the cross. And these parables are going to refute anyone who holds that idea. It's also going to refute the idea that Israel could have done something throughout the book of Acts to usher in or bring in the kingdom. The parables in Matthew 13 will refute that idea. In chapters 3 through 12 in the book of Matthew, Christ is, the, is that Old Testament king, that Old Testament Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament. The Old, Test the Old Testament pictured Messiah on an earthly kingdom ruling as the king of Israel. The Old Testament didn't necessarily reveal the church, although we can tie in the Old Testament, the New Testament, see all those insinuations there. That's because we've got an Old Testament to tie back. Let's look at one of those passages while we're at it and see the tie-in. Go to Micah, chapter number 5, the book of Micah. Micah, chapter number 5. The Bible says in the book of Micah, and in chapter number 5, But thou, Bethlehem, it greatest, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Remember we looked at Daniel 7, we talked about the ancient days from of old. That's God the Father we talked about, that ancient of days. And he's going to give the throne over to the king, King Jesus. Habakkuk 1.12, it says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my holy? Psalm 55 says, God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abideth of all. So in Micah chapter 5, verse number 2, Christ is in Bethlehem's manger. And when Christ is in Bethlehem's manger, he can, not only can he look forward, but he can look backward. And we see that in Micah 2. He can look back in time 
at his everlastingness. You see how it says, have been from old? That's the, that's the old days. It says right at the end of the verse, have been from of old, from everlasting. And he can also look forward in time. He can look forward in time to when he is going to be ruling as king. But he's not ruling as king when he but he can look backward and he can look forward. See how it says, Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be one. He will be ruler in Israel. That's the prophecy in Micah 2. He will be. So you have a baby. That baby is the Messiah. That baby is the Christ. That, ba that baby is God manifest in a body of flesh lying in that danger. And he can look back as the ancient of days. He can look back at his everlastings. But he can also look forward where he will be ruler as king. And that's, that's, our, that's our Savior. It's just putting these things in its proper order. So the physical kingdom of heaven, not the spiritual kingdom of God, but the physical kingdom of heaven, ruled by Christ as king, ruler on the throne, where? At Jerusalem. And it points to Old Testament prophecy as a coming king offering himself to Israel. How many of you have heard the term the synoptic gospel? That's Matthew, Mark, Luke are considered the synoptic, the similar gospels. And then John is categorized over here. There's, there's, a, there's a difference in John. However, a bit of that synoptic gospel theory falls apart when we look at the kingdom of heaven because only in Matthew you have the kingdom of heaven mentioned it's 33 times i believe and so matthew in that sense considering the kingdom of heaven in that sense matthew is just as distinct as john it's a very specific kingdom of heaven it doesn't show up in mark it doesn't show up in luke and it doesn't show up in john now, why is that? Well, I really think if we look at the Bible, the last book in the the last book in the Old Testament is the Book of Malachi. Now, I'm not trying to change the Bible. I'm just bringing this thought into your, into your mind this this evening. In many ways, the first 25, 26 books of Matthew. In many ways, you could call it Second Malachi, because it's starting. You really don't have New Testament stuff until you get to Matthew twenty-six. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Those beginning chapters in, in Matthew, those middle chapters in the Book of Matthew, it continues to wrap up the history. Up until the point when Messiah is cut off. And we see he's cut off in that. 
but those beginning chapters, those middle chapters in Matthew, it's all a summation of bringing forth this point where Messiah is come. And what prophecy does that fulfill? 69th week of Daniel's prophecy, leaving one week of prophecy left. I know, I know it's a lot of information, but you know, just keep hearing that you'll, it'll, it'll, it'll start to start to sink in. So biblically, if you follow a biblical timeline, you really don't have new 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 Testament stuff, if you will, until Matthew 26. All of it leading up to that is a summation of kind of filling in of Testament information. So that's that's uh, that's that beginning part of the book of Matthew. I get Acts chapter number one because the disciples were just as confused as maybe some of you are tonight. But you can go back and listen to this and run these verses over again. But this is important because in Acts chapter number one, this is this is uh, Jesus rose from the dead, and look what it says in verse number six. The disciples, now Jesus filled in the blanks with them on the time back in Matthew 24, but watch what they asked. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They're constantly asking about this kingdom. They're earthly minded. They're wanting to know, when is the kingdom, Lord, when is the kingdom? His kingdom is going to come. But it's not going to come right now. And Matthew 13 starts those parables start to fill in the blanks on them. Did God church in you in the Old Testament? You bet he did. Of course he did. Look at Acts chapter 2 verse 23. Acts 2, verse 23. Watch what it says. Let's back up one verse. Acts 2, 20. It says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man of truth of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Now watch. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Now, what does this mean? God made a genuine offer to the Jews. He genuinely offered the kingdom of heaven to the nation of Israel. And he genuinely offered himself as king over that kingdom. And he knew, verse number 23, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, he knew that Israel, that nation, he knew that they would reject the offer. And there's no trickery by God. It's not, well, he had determinate foreknowledge and, and so God played a trick on him. And he, it's not that. It's not that at all. 
People say, well, God's not fair. No, he's completely fair. Does Romans 10 say, for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved? Do we preach the gospel to all men? Does that mean all men will be saved? Of course not. We know that. Uh, Revelation 22, verse 17. Uh, let, let's turn there so we can look at it together. Revelation 22. Verse number 17. Revelation 22. Verse number 17. And the spirit and the bride say come. And let him that heareth say come. And let him that is a thirsteth come. And whoso will, let him take the water of life freely. Does it say whosoever will? Do we preach that whosoever will should come? Does that mean that they all will come? No. We are making an honest, genuine offer to all. Whosoever shall call. We'll be saved. We're making that offer to everybody. That's what Christ told us to do. We make the offer. Whosoever will come, we make the offer. First Timothy, look at First Timothy chapter two. We'll see it again. First Timothy chapter number two. Look at verse number three. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. What's God's will? Verse 4. That all men be one. Saved. That is God's will. What is God's will? The end of verse 4. That all would come unto the knowledge of truth. And that's what we preach. God's will for your life is that you would be saved. You meet a lost person on Tennessee Tech. You meet a lost person in your neighborhood. You meet a lost person down at one of the fairs. Chris talks to a lost person tonight down at Dogwood Park tonight. And we've got all this public ministry that's going on during the week. And we tell people God's will for you is to be saved. God's will for you is to come to the knowledge of the truth. We make that genuine hope. Does that mean every sinner's will will line up with God's will? It does. It does. It doesn't make the gospel unfair. Instead, it puts the responsibility on the sinner to respond and repent, turn from their trust in whatever it was, put their faith and trust in Christ. We know that not all would be saved. We know that. But we know we have a genuine offer of salvation that should go out to all men. So God is not guilty. God's not unfair. Well, you never offered it to me. No. Man is guilty. Man is a sinner. And he did the same thing with that nation. It was a genuine offer to the nation to repent. The seven parables in Matthew 13 answers this question. 
What's the deal with the kingdom of heaven during the church? How do we fit it in? How do we piece it together? Go to Matthew 13. We'll finish up the review and then we'll dive into the parable on the next lesson. But I don't want to just dive in without an introduction so we can we can get a good, good context before going. How many of you young like reading mysteries? They're fun, aren't they? Mysteries are fun. Look at Matthew 13, verse number 11. He answered and said unto them, this is Jesus now, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So you know what we're going to have over the next couple of lessons on Thursday night? Mysteries. What's a mystery? A mystery is true. But you don't, I don't, we don't know the truth of that mystery until it's revealed to us. It doesn't mean it's untrue because we don't know it. It's true, but we don't have the revelation of that truth. And so these mysteries will, will come to light. God has to reveal it. say, well, why is God being all mysterious in Matthew 13? Why is he giving parables so people can't understand? He gave it to them in plain talk and they didn't understand. <laughs> so now he's switching gears. So you have to kind of listen in and dig a little. Go back to Matthew 7. Look at Matthew 7. Ask, verse 7, Matthew 7. Verse number seven. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. If they really wanted truth, they'd hang around Jesus. Do some knocking. Do some asking. Do some seeking. Do some finding. Like you do with a mystery book. Or like you do with your little bit, you know. It's like, like, like making little exploration things. History's not. But they got to think. They got to dig. They got to ask. They got to search. They got to see. Look at Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Now watch this comparison here. Verse number one. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And the great multitudes were gathered together unto him. So that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Now jump all the way down to verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them. And hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. You can grab all the multitudes together. But if they're not seeking, like verse 16 and 17 says, 
You're not going to hear. And so Jesus is giving, he's going to give these seven Matthew 13. And we'll get into a deep dive on it next time. But before we go tonight, I want to just clear out one key doctrinal issue. Might be a way of review, but it is worth This is a key doctrinal issue that I want you all to understand. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are different kingdoms. One's a physical kingdom, one's a spiritual one is earthly, one is within. We did less than that. Go to Matthew. Go to Matthew ten. Go to Matthew ten. Both of these kingdoms were preached at the same time. Kingdom of God and Kingdom of Heaven. They're different, right? Physical, spiritual. Everybody got that? Both of them are being preached at the same time during Christ's earth ministry. And I want you to get this. Look at verse 5 in Matthew 10. These 12, Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus told the twelve, don't go where? To the Gentiles. Amen. Jesus said, do not go to the Gentiles. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't go to Gentiles, go to Israel. What did he tell them to preach? Verse number seven. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Kingdom of heaven, is it a spiritual or physical kingdom? Physical. Who was that kingdom offered to? The nation of Israel, the Jews. Right, you got it. Who did Jesus say, do not preach that message to? The Gentile. We got it. We got it. But both of those kingdoms are being preached at the same time. Kingdom of heaven. First kingdom of God. You draw two circles, there's some overlap. So go to the book Luke. Luke will give us the answer. Luke chapter number eight. Luke chapter number eight. Look at verse number one. Luke eight, verse number one. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village. Preaching and showing. Now hold on a second. Where did he go? How many? What city? Every city, right? Verse number one. He went through every city and every village, every city and village. And when he went through every city and every village, what was the message? And showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. Jesus and the apostles are preaching the kingdom of God at the same time they're preaching the kingdom of heaven. Now go to Luke chapter 9. Verse number 1. And he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power 
and authority over the devil to the cure diseases. Notice he gave that to the 12. Don't try to go and cure some diseases like some of these fakers. This apostolic deliverance ministry of fakers trying to cure people of their diseases. Where were they during COVID? Where were they? Where were they at the nursing home when grandma's got cancer? They don't show up. They don't even show up to knock some hospital doors and pray for them. Make sure they know the gospel. They won't do that. But God gave the 12 that power. And watch what he sent them to preach. Verse number two. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, you're not, you're not one of the 12, so you can't physically heal, heal the sick. But he sent them to preach the kingdom of God. Now, it's wrong to say that the kingdom of God was offered. I'm sorry, the kingdom of heaven was offered first. And well, that didn't work. And so now God offers the kingdom of God, that spiritual kingdom. No, that's incorrect to say that. It's correct to say both were preached at the same time. No one is ushering in the kingdom by converting Gentiles. And we're not doing that now. Well, we're going to usher in the kingdom. Let's just convert enough people and get enough people in American politics, and we'll just usher in the kingdom. So Christ is going to come back and set up his throne when he says he's going to come back. And we don't know when it is, but he's coming. So what's the distinction? By the way, if we get every Gentile converted, we're still not going to bring in a king if that nation doesn't want to accept him as king. Does that make sense? That nation has to accept him as king. And that's coming. That is coming. All Israel shall be saved. We'll get into that in Romans. Because we're going verse by verse through it. We just can't do it tonight. But that is coming. So what is the distinction? Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. One's physical, one's spiritual. But what is the distinction that needs to be drawn? About both of those messages being preached at the same time. The simple distinction is this. To the house of Israel, preach the kingdom of heaven. It's not don't preach to the Gentile. No, it's don't preach the kingdom of heaven to the Gentile. All for them, the kingdom of God. That's every city. That's every. That's that spirit. It's not during this time here that we're going through in Matthew. It's not. Don't go to the don't go to Israel. No, it's don't go to Israel, the kingdom of God. That kingdom of heaven was at hand. And that's the distinction. Both groups were being preached to, but Christ honed in on one specific message to those Jews. The kingdom of heaven. Physically. Messiah is cut off with that 69th week. There's one more week of prophecy that has to get be fulfilled. And that's going to be coming. And God will turn back. Time will start again, in a sense. In God's time. And he will deal with that nation. And all that we looked at, Matthew 9, 24, 25, 26, 27. That sixfold purpose, he will deal with. So, next Thursday when we do this, it won't be next Thursday. The next Thursday lesson uh, that I'll be doing will be 
We're going to get into those parables, those seven parables of Matthew chapter number 13, and we'll get a better understanding 